0: We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. Thank you, Dr. Brooks and choir. Thank you for wonderful music. It gives you a preview, a glimpse of what heaven might be with the sights and the sounds. Just imagine that over and over again with choirs from every tongue and every tribe and every nation. So it's a blessing for me to share with you this morning in the message and God's word, Romans chapter eight. It's a challenging passage. It's a challenging book. It's a challenging chapter. And uh, it's to my assignment this morning to take, take a stab at Romans chapter eight. So we're in the uh, the road series, and uh, today is shotgun, the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, probably every one of us, at a certain age in our lives, has said that word when it's time to get in the car, shotgun, and what we meant was we wanted to be in the front seat so we could have a good view. But you know, shotgun is also the place where the navigator sits, and uh, you have a pilot and a co-pilot, and uh, my wife has served in that capacity for most of our trips and most of our rides. She was, I was a pilot. She was the co-pilot. And uh, I recall one trip in particular when we were in San Antonio and I was headed to Houston to preach. And I thought, let's make a weekend trip uh, for, with the kids. So we'll take our three sons. I was preaching on a Saturday evening, and I thought we could just relax that evening, have fun, go worship, and drive back the next day. So I planned the perfect trip with plenty of time from San Antonio to get to Houston, plenty of time to find the hotel, get settled, get everybody dressed, plenty of time to find a place where I would be about a 20-minute drive to the church, a 20-minute uh, little drive. And I had my directions, everything was ready, so we got to the hotel, everybody was relaxed, we got everybody dressed, the excitement, and going to go hear Dad preach for a little bit, and then have a, a fun night in the swimming pool back at the hotel, jump on beds, and do whatever you do at a hotel. so uh, we were ready to go, got everybody loaded, and took off about fifteen minutes into the drive. I thought something is not right, <laughs> something just doesn 't look right, and uh, I knew I was getting closer and uh, closer, and that any moment the church would be around the corner. Uh, My wife was beginning to sigh and breathe deeply, and uh, I was becoming more and more assured I was there, but the truth is, I was lost. Now, I know that every self respecting male driver is forbidden to say those words before, during, or after a trip, but the truth is, uh, I was lost. And so, uh, my wife finally convinced me to do the sane thing at same not same but same thing and pull over and call for directions. Now this is before GPS so I had to pull over. I did have a cell phone. I called the church. I got redirected and uh and went back went to the church. Uh we we were a little bit late but I was in time uh, to preach. So everything was okay. I will say that's not the best way to prepare to preach a sermon is to get lost stress. Now, the other drama, which is really more interesting to me, is our sons in the back watching the drama happening in the front seat. Uh, Josh was there and he had, his, uh, he had his chin. He was watching mom, watching dad, watching. He was just, he was getting stressed. He was being drawn into the drama. And so we pulled into the church, into the parking lot, and I said, okay, whoo, we made it. And full of stress, my son leans in to ask me a very painful question. And this is what he said, dad, where's your map? And I said, "Uh, son, your dad didn't bring a map. (laughs) And he also didn't listen to the navigator. And so uh, I I was talking about being humbled in the presence of your children. What's even worse than that is the title of my sermon. Yes, you guessed it. Uh, How to use a 21st century map in ministry. So that, that, was, that was, I had a sermon. I was ready. I just didn't know I was going to be the illustration of that day. So what is the best way to live life on the planet? And is there a map? Is there a road that you can choose? Um, uh, and the, the life you've chosen now, is that working out the way you had hoped? Or is there another way? Is there a better way? Uh, is there a way that adds meaning and purpose and makes sense? Or are we just to shoot for 70, 80, 90 years of possession and experience and joy and relationships and then that's it? Or is there more to this life than living and dying? And I want to explore some of these questions in our series today Shotgun the role of the Holy Spirit. But as we begin, I'd like to start with one big headline. On this life road, there's lots of road signs and there's lots of uh, different ways to get directions, but there's a big headline today, and it starts in chapter 8, verse 1, when the Apostle Paul says, right in this verse, if you're reading, I'm reading from the New International Version, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's like, that's a shout, That's an exclamation mark that the Apostle Paul is making, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's the huge headline that that we would put at the very beginning of this journey. So I want to break that down just a little bit. In fact, I would say every verse after chapter eight, verse one, through the rest of the chapter is a descriptor of that exclamation. That's the big news. That's the headline. So he says, uh, there is now And what he's talking about is not temporary or momentary, uh, not just uh, today, but there is now and from now on throughout eternity, this sense of time is right now and forevermore. Uh, There is therefore now no condemnation. When he uses the word therefore, of course, you've heard Dr. Warren say many times that the therefore is to summarize everything that is set before. In particular, chapter seven, in the work that Paul did, when he described that battle, I don't do what I should do, and I do what I don't want to do, and it's a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. All that is culminated in this chapter eight, verse one, uh, in this, this declaration and statement. So he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. The idea is here, there's no source, no person, no power, not now, not ever, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so there is no way, there is no shoe to drop. Uh, there is no hammer to fall. There is no secret hidden consequence that you'll get someday because you messed up. He's saying definitively now and forever, no condemnation. The only person that could condemn you the only judge that has a right to render a verdict on you, died for you on the cross and set you free. There's no way. There's no way there's ever going to be any condemnation. Now there is a condition. The last part is for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who identify with who Jesus is, for those who have been identified in his death. When you and I identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, there's no condemnation. But it's for those who are in Christ. Now we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. And if you track the verses in chapter eight and you see the verse by verse, you're gonna see reference over and over again to the Spirit, capital S. Now, in our faith community as Baptists, we don't the the Holy Spirit doesn't get a lot of showtime. It doesn't get a lot of play, doesn't get a lot of mention. In fact, we're kind of you know, sometimes an old version that says the Holy Ghost, so it almost seems a little spooky. And, you know, so I, I want to sort of declutter all those myths and bring a little bit of clarity by doing just a few uh, moments on who the Holy Spirit is, from my understanding. So this won't be Pneumatology 101. We're not going to get real deep. Just a few statements of that. But I would say that in chapter 8 of Romans, that uh, there is more reference to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, than in all of Paul's writings. Now, when you think about that, and also in the rest of uh, the book of Romans, but knowing that the apostle Paul wrote almost 50% of the New Testament, that the most number of references about the Holy Spirit are right here parked in chapter eight, where we're going to read today. So a few words about the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. You know this, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. So it's a third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person, Uh, it's not a thing uh, to look at or to be held, but it's a person to know. It's a relationship. So just like you have a relationship with God the Father, you have a relationship with Jesus the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh. But you also have a relationship with God the Spirit. So the way I think is that the Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is Jesus in the Spirit form. So he's a person. Uh, but he also inspires scripture. He's the one who breathed in the inspiration as the scripture was been, has been written. And when you open up God's word and you read the scripture, he also sheds light. He, he illuminates the scripture so that as you're reading, you understand better and it makes sense. You connect the dots and the spirit teaches you in such a way that Perhaps you couldn't have understood, so he opens the Scripture to us, and he makes it understandable and adds knowledge, and he gives us knowledge from above. And the Spirit not only inspires Scripture, but he also gives us new spiritual life. And so I've always believed that you don't get installments of the Spirit over time when you have certain experiences and do certain things, that you're going to get all the Spirit you'll ever get when you ask Jesus to come into your heart. And when Jesus comes in, he sends the spirit to indwell us. He's in us and he lives within us. He's he's here to stay. He's made his home in our hearts. Uh, he's, He's become comfortable and he lives in us to guide us and to show us the way. And so he gives us also a sense of unity when you and I come together in this congregation, and we're worshiping together, and we're in the fellowship. It's not that you and I create fellowship. It's the spirit of God in us that creates that sense of fellowship, how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell and sisters to dwell together in fellowship and harmony. It's the spirit of God that creates that, not you and I. You and I get together. We bring the presence of the Spirit in us, and when we're together, he creates that sense of unity, and he guides the church. He gives us spiritual gifts to each one, a different spiritual gift, and together, there's a beautiful mosaic of the presence of the Spirit of God in us and and through us. So that's a little um, descriptor of, hopefully, you're clear. That's who the Holy Spirit is. It's really Jesus in spirit form. And uh, we can talk right to him, just like we can speak to Jesus in the same way. So we're on this journey of life and Romans chapter eight, one through 17, then 26 through 30. I won't be actually reading those verses, but I would invite you to open up the scriptures to chapter eight. And as we go along here, you'll see the references to the verses where I'm getting this information from, so you know I'm not making it up. Actually, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to guide us and guide our words and guide our hearing this morning. So what I'd like to do is talk about two different roads that you can take. Rather than go back and forth each verse, I just want to talk about two roads. One is the carnal road, and one is the spirit road. So we're going to be tracking those two roads, talking first about the carnal road. The carnal road is life in the flesh. So let's really focus on that. So we're kind of extracting verses to talk about what does the carnal road look like. And I think it's important for us to really identify and understand what the carnal road is to contrast that with the spirit road that we're going to deal with in just a moment. So life in the flesh, we could say life in the, flat, in the, in the flesh lane, uh, to quote the eagles. So uh, this is life in the flesh. This life is governed by the law of sin and death and uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 2 and 3. So if you live life in the carnal lane, in the flesh lane, then the governing factor of how you live is the law of sin and death. Now the law being the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, and there's nothing wrong with the law. What's wrong is you and I can't live up to it. And if we could, trying to live up to it to please God would also be a problem. And so it's the law of sin and death. It leads to death. It leads to destruction. Uh, The same one that governs that law of death is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You're living in harmony with that person, evil, that comes to try to kill and destroy and to kill us. The life is also governed by a sin nature mindset. Uh, see, on the carnal road, you have a certain way of living that you can't help. You know no other way to live. You must follow the desires of your mind and the desires of your flesh. You don't really have another choice. And there is a certain mindset. It's just not how we think. It's predisposition. It's, these are decisions and a way of thinking you've already settled on. You've already taken another party's view. You've already decided this is the way I think and this is the way I do. And so that that law uh, it's the law of the sin nature mindset is is the way people must and have to and are limited to live in that way when they're on the carnal road. Now the truth is we've all been on the carnal road. And the truth is we all start out on the carnal road. We're all sinners. For all his sin comes sort of the glory of God. We're all we're all carnal war, road warriors. We we've been there. And some, when we were children, others, when we became older, when we realized there's another road you can take. And so the sin nature, not only is uh, the life is governed by the law of sin and death, it's also governed by a sin nature mindset, a way of thinking. And that way of thinking, you give your very best intellectual thinking to how to fulfill the, the, the desires of your flesh and the desires of your mind. And thirdly, this sin nature mindset is hostile towards God. It's a, it, it makes you think in such a way that you are actually against God. You're in opposition to what God the Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father want to do in your life. You are going against the grain. You are sort of sticking your fist up at God and saying, no way, I'm not going to do it. In this way of thinking, on the carnal road, you're actually hateful towards God, to his character, to his nature, to what he wants to do in history. That's the way you have to live if you're going to take the carnal road. In fact, that's the only way you can live. You really have no other choice. You're a slave, and you're enslaved to sin, and there's, there's, no, other, there's no other way to live. Um, and so... <clears throat> Sometimes I go to different cities and I take Lyft. I don't know if you've taken Lyft before or Uber, get someone to give you a ride. And I notice that the Lyft person will punch in the directions and then Waze comes up. And I don't know, some of you might not like Waves. You might think Waves are outdated and really it's Google Maps you should use. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not that fast. But I know way- Waze is supposed to show you the way. Waze is supposed to take you a- away from the bad traffic. It's supposed to show you a better way, a faster way, a more efficient way. So you go down streets and sideways and neighborhoods that you've never seen before, ever in Dallas. You've lived here for years and years because ways showed you this is faster. This keeps you away from the bad traffic. That's what Paul is trying to say. There's another way. It's ways. It's the Holy Spirit. He can show you another way. Let me pause here and just reflect a little bit. All my life, from the time that I was a child growing up, teenager, and even my adult years, I've known family, neighbors, coworkers, and friends that have chosen to stay in the carnal, on the carnal road. They've had opportunities. They've heard the gospel. They, uh, maybe they've uh, witnessed the love of God in some way or experienced it, and the truth is um, they've rejected God. They've said, no, no, no I don't need that. I'm going to stay on the carnal road. They've turned away from the one opportunity that would set them free, and they continue to live in slavery, continue to live out the carnal life and live out the desires of the mind and the desires of the flesh. And maybe you're, maybe you're one of those. Maybe you're here today, and, and that's the only way you know how to live. And, and maybe you feel like when you come to a church like this, that you feel judged, and maybe you feel condemned. But but let me clarify. We're not here to judge you, and we're not here to condemn you at all. In fact, we're all already condemned by God, who's a holy God, and he has a right to judge us. All we're trying to do is show you another way. All we're trying to do is point you to peace. All we're trying to do is, is help set you free from the life that you've become enslaved to. And then on the other side, for those of us that have found another road besides the carnal road, and we have these family neighbors, co-workers, friends, and neighbors who are obviously on the carnal road, um, I I just want to urge us to be patient with them. Uh, Nothing is beyond the reach of the merciful hand and redemptive touch of of Almighty God, Jesus, the Redeemer, the King, the Spirit, to draw them. So I encourage you, when you think and know of people in your circle of influence that have run hard on that carnal road, pray for them, um, serve them, love them, and um, engage them. Because you never know how God's going to use you to, to show the way uh, to the, right, the, right, the better way of living. So we have uh, the carnal road. And uh, now we have the spirit road. The spirit road is life in the spirit. Uh, and it, uh, it, it, it is, um, it's a fork in the road. So when, you, when you're on the carnal road, you're gonna come to a fork in the road at some point. You can stay on the carnal road, which I don't recommend, or you can take the spirit road. So here's my direction, take the spirit road. It's a better way of living. It sets you free. And so take the spirit road. And Paul described this, describes this spirit road in six different ways. I want to run through those. So the first one is that the law of the spirit of life is made possible through Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 2. It is through Christ that this road is even possible that God sent Jesus to, uh, to invade the enemy territory, and, and what Paul is thinking of and saying here is that Jesus invaded the enemy territory where the enemy was entrenched and had dominion and took over and imprisoned us and enslaved us and had us captured. Jesus invades the em- enemy territory, and for once and for all, he sentenced sin and death and took the power away and set us free. So this new life, this road to life in Christ is made possible by Jesus himself, the Jesus of Nazareth that we know. And so we were radically cut off from sin, the sin-dominated life, and we become the prisoner set free. The second thing about this spirit road that's different from the carnal road is that God made life in the spirit possible by sending Jesus to the cross, Romans chapter 8, verse 3, that Jesus went to the cross, and there he dismantled the power of sin over us. And, uh, and, and so it's kind of like, you know, whenever we need a job done, we send special forces, Green Beret. My dad was a Marine. You know, you send the toughest, the, the strongest, and you just send them to get it done. God sent his special force. His name is Jesus. He sent him in by cover of night to do something no one thought. It's like the stealth bomber under the radar, but right there he took care of it. He took care of business on the cross. So the life in the spirit that we get to have is made possible because God sent his son all the way to the cross, and he did not consider himself uh, to be something more, but he was humbled and obedient even to death on the cross to set us free. So that's the second one. The third identifier of the, the road of the spirit, the life in the spirit, is that the mindset of this life is set on what the Spirit deci- desires. It's chapter 8, verse 5. You see, when you're on the life uh, road uh, of, the, of the Spirit, the life in the Spirit, then you automatically have this sense to what, what does the Spirit want to do? You're asking the question. You're thinking how the Spirit thinks. Paul says you have the mind of Christ. You can think the thoughts of Christ because he's in you. And uh, he speaks to you, he's whispering to you, he's showing you the way. It's the power of his word that you read that agrees with the voice you hear, the still small voice that says, do this, do that, go there, say this, love in this way, give in this sacrificial way. It's this life in the spirit that causes us to want to do the desires of the spirit himself. Remember that Jesus is the spirit. Jesus is the son. And remember that Jesus is our king And wherever Jesus is, you have to have a king to have a kingdom. And so wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom is. And all of us as subjects of the king and the kingdom, we want to do what the king does. We want to carry out his orders. We want to carry out his wishes. We want to be with the king, hang out with the king, act like the king, copy the king, whatever the king wants, that's what we want. That's what our dying king wants from us. And so our natural inclination, because we have the spirit in us, is to want the desires and the wishes and the things done that the Spirit wants, we, we we gravitate towards that as we walk in the life of the Spirit. And it's a relationship, it's a kingship where we uh, we have this sweet relationship with Him, and uh, we are in Christ because Christ is in us, and uh, we have the Spirit of Christ in us because we're in Christ. So those two work together. The fourth identifier is that this mindset is controlled. By the Spirit. It's not controlled by us. We don't get to tell the Spirit what to do. We're under the Spirit's influence. He controls us. And it's the other way around. So the Spirit uh, mindset is controlled by the Spirit that produces life and produces peace. This is the Spirit in us that on the day that havoc is wreaked on you, on the day that you suffer a loss, on the day that you should be to pieces. It's that Spirit in us that gives us the peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense to have it together when life comes to you that way, but it's the Spirit's presence that calms you and comforts you and gives you that peace that passes all understanding. And so we tend to take the side of the Spirit, and we're in Christ because Christ is in us. He is at home in us. He is, he's taken residence, and so he's administering, managing, organizing He's ordering our lives in such a way that we naturally want to walk in the Spirit, be influenced by the Spirit, copy the Spirit, and do what he asks us to do. This is where life really is. The fifth identifier is that life in the Spirit obligates us uh, to live by the Spirit as sons and daughters of God, chapter 8, verse 12 to 17. You see, obedience is proof that the Spirit lives in you. Show me an obedient Christian, an obedient follower of Christ, obediently following the voice and the witness of Scripture, and I'll tell you that person has the Spirit of Christ in them. In fact, if you if you don't have the Spirit of Christ in you, you're not of Him. You don't belong to Him. You're on the carnal road. If the Spirit's on you, you're gonna be, and in you, you're gonna be more sensitive and more aware. And you're going to connect the dots of what you're hearing and what you're reading, and then you're going to take action. And that's obedience, and that is proof positive. The Spirit is in you. It's where we have this intimate relationship with God that Paul refers to it as Abba, Father. And uh, in our language, we would say, Daddy. You say, Daddy. And I remember the times when my dad was living and he talked about his dad. As a grown man, as an elderly, elderly man, uh, He would, when he talked about his dad and what his dad did and how his dad sacrificed, he always used the term, when my daddy did this and my daddy did that. And that's the relationship we have with God the Father, with the Spirit, that, that we're able to have that familiar, intimate relationship that we call him Abba Father, we call him Daddy. And finally, number six, the Holy Spirit guides us towards life and peace. So now bumping to chapter 8 verse 26 to 30, that last piece, the last part of the of the scripture, not only does the spirit do these things and guide our mindset and lean us towards his desires and allows us to have the spirit through Christ sending him to the cross, all these things are true, but also the spirit is not just something in the past that happened one time when I was 9 years old. The spirit is today, the spirit is right now, the spirit is in real time guiding me and comforting me and showing me the way and uh, protecting me and giving provision to me. So chapter 8, verse 26 through 30 tells us that the Spirit guides us. And when we have weakness, when we have a moment when we slipped, he is forgiving us and redeeming us and bringing us back to him and saying, now this time go this way. You know, it's like a coach. You don't, don't, if you run it to the left, you're gonna get tackled again. Run it to the right, you know. So he knows, he knows what to do, he knows where to send us. And then we land on Romans eight twenty eight. Probably the most misunderstood, perhaps misquoted verse, misused verse maybe in all of the scripture, at least one of several, right? Romans chapter eight verse twenty-eight. Now I came across a translation of this verse that I really thought. Now that captures, I think, what what, what Paul meant uh, as we read it in different versions. This Young's literal translation says it this way. I don't have it on the screen. If you'll just listen, it says, "And we have known that to those loving God, all things do work together for good. To those who are called." according to his purpose. In many other translations, the the interpreter or the translator leads with, all things work together for good, and then we kind of forget the rest of it. But no, it's the other way around. It's, It's something that's past knowledge. It's like, we know this. This is already in our knowledge base. This is in our database. We have evidence. We have experience. We've seen this time and time again, and we have known in times past that to those loving God, All things work together for good to those who are called according to purpose. And so this is the purpose of God this is the story of God. We think about history. History is not about you. It's not about even human history. It's really a false uh, nomenclature. Uh, History is his story. It's about God. It's really not about what happens to you and me. There's going to be good things and bad things that happen. And and the center of the universe is not Albert Reyes. It's really the kingdom of God and what he's doing. He's bringing all of history and redemptive nature and redeeming all the things that evil intended, bringing them to good. And so when bad things happen in my life and good things happen in my life, Paul would say, I've learned to be without. I've learned to have sufficient enough. I've learned to have not enough. And in all things, I'm good because it's Christ who is the one I'm serving. It's Christ who, Jesus is the one who is providing. Now, I know that uh, having been a pastor uh, for a number of years, and even today as a vocational minister, the hardest thing, the hardest thing to try to explain in fact, I don't think you can explain it, is loss. You know, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, um, loss of a child, loss of a dream, loss of a business, loss of a limb, loss of health. This could go on, right? We've all had some of those, and we will. And so when a person is living on the spirit road and reading the scripture and doing their devotion and serving the Lord and doing everything they can, and then bam, something happens, terrible, surprising, unsuspected, undeserving, something happens. How do you explain that? The only thing I can do is point to this verse and say, look, uh, we've known already that, that you love the Lord. And even this unspeakable, surprising thing that happened to you in some way, I don't know how, it's not understandable, not explainable in this moment, maybe not in this lifetime, but somehow God's promising he's going to take that really, really bad experience and somehow work it together with the other things in life, and he's going to bring it to good because he's called you according to his purpose. And so even our losses, even our hurts, even our pains, even our disappointments Even uh, the things that come against us and hurt us somehow in God's economy, bringing it together because after all, it's for his purpose that he's bringing it together, not mine. He's not bringing things together for my purpose, for Albert's benefit. Although good things and blessings come that we can't imagine, God gives us way more than we ever thought could be possible. But even in the hard times and the good times, it's really all to be used somehow for what God's doing in redemptive history. It is about him, not about us. And we choose to believe that the Spirit is there working and connecting dots and bringing things together. And sometimes in this life, we do get a glimpse that, oh, that's why that happened, I understand now. Sometimes that understanding doesn't come until we meet him face to face. He orders our lives for his purpose. And the history then is not about us, it's about him. And so, uh, Paul then ends this by describing us in five different ways. We are foreknown It doesn't surprise God that when you came to the fork in the road, you would choose life in the spirit. He's not surprised. You didn't catch him off guard. He already knew that. And you're also predestined. And so he's designed ahead of time to mold you into the image of Jesus in the image of his son, to make us day by day more like Christ and less like the way we used to be, to begin to take off those layers of the carnal road and to put the layers of the spirit on so that we become just like him. So Jesus becomes the elder brother of all. And then he's called, he called us. And from the word kaleo, it's a calling. Vocare is the word in Latin. He's calling us towards him, calling us towards redemption, calling us towards a better life, calling us towards peace, calling us away from conflict, calling us into harmony, calling us into purpose that matches with his purpose. This is the sense of calling that God gives us. It's not just for vocational preachers. We're all called to live and walk with Christ and to exercise the spiritual gifts he's given us. And then we're justified. So he makes us just as if we had never sinned. You've heard that before. He takes away and erases the sin and puts as far as east is from the west our sin, even our sin today, past, present, future. He takes it away and and makes it disappear, puts it on the cross where Jesus died, and then he glorifies us. And the way Paul uses this verse is in the past tense. This word of glorified, he glorified, looking to the future, but speaking it in terms of past tense. You know why? Because our glorification and unification with Jesus in the presence of his wonderful presence in heaven in the time that we are reunited after this life, you know what? It's a done deal. It's already happened. It's in the books. It's going to happen. It's already done. Nothing can change it. You're glorified and united with him. And so these are the five descriptors of the relationship we have with Christ. A few weeks ago, maybe it was not a few weeks, Rodney, I've lost track of time, maybe it was a few months ago, maybe I think it was in May, over here in the Great Hall, our church, Park City's Baptist Church, that is a blessing to many people, you may not even know how much of a blessing you are to the community of Dallas, you invited and allowed for the first Mexican Baptist Church to celebrate their 100th anniversary. They didn't have enough room in their current building, so we hosted them here. And Belinda and I came because I know people from uh, that church, some of the pastors that pastored that church. It's up here in Betty Jane Lane, Walnut Hill. You're not very far from here. Um, I've known the pastors. I married my brother and his wife uh, in, in that church. And so I know people. So we, my wife and I came and we were, you know, to see old friends that have wonderful food in the Great Hall and fellowship and music in Spanish. And just thinking about the hundred years of ministry, it was just wonderful. And I, you know, I was just having a good time. And over on the side, they had a a place where they were taking pictures with the hundredth, the centenario, the hundredth anniversary. And so my wife and I, there took a picture. And then as we were done with our pictures, I was about to turn around and someone tapped me on the shoulder. And before I could see who it was, she said, would you uh, take a picture with us? And I said, yes, before I knew who it was, I turned and I said, yes. And then I thought, Marta, what are you doing here? I mean, I didn't know you were here. You shouldn't say, what are you doing here at a 100th anniversary? But uh, what are you doing here, Martha? It was Martha and Serapio who live over here in the Bachman Lake area where Buckner and Park City's Baptist Church is partnering together to start a family hope center where there's 90,000 people in a three-square-mile area. Well, we've worked with Martha and Serapio for for months. And they've gone through some some really tough times, had some really hard issues. And so they've gone through our economic development classes. And so they've taken some of the principles and really, uh, really supercharged their business. And so they're online and selling piñatas and just doing great. They've been coming to classes and parenting classes and, you know, father-daughter date uh, experiences and Bible study and prayer. And I, I knew all that but what's Martha doing at the 100th anniversary of the first Mexican Baptist Church of Dallas? I didn't know she was coming to church. And here's the thing. You know about Buckner. We do all kinds of foster care adoption, single parent programs and family hope centers, 26 locations uh, you know, in six countries around the world. And so we do lots of good stuff, but here's the thing. And, and we use the latest social philosophy, social work um, and best practices, but here's the core. In 13 years serving at Buckner and all that I've seen, I have not found another way to make a better dad without Jesus. I've not found a way to make a better mom without Jesus. I've not found a way to help nurture and develop and see children thrive without Jesus. We put spiritual development in there, and at the right time, we, we speak a, a word, we speak hope, we try to say, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's another road, it's called the spirit road. We try to introduce people to the Lord. Over a thousand people come to faith in Christ every year because of our ministry, not as much by what we say, but what, what, what we do. Actions do speak louder than words. And at the right time, we speak a word into their lives. And uh, you see, when moms and dads decide to take the spirit road, then the children watch a radical family makeover take place. Dads begin to love their kids in a way they hadn't before, begin to focus and give time and tune in and be available and be present with their kids. Moms begin to love their children even more deeply and to care about them and to nurture them. Children, we find, begin to imagine and dream and create and realize that there's a grander purpose than just succeeding or just living and and, and making it day by day. And families began to take a transformative experience, and we see this happen over and over again. You just can't get it done without taking the spirit road. Carnal road, we've seen what that does. I'll tell you, I've been all over the world, and wherever I see the footprints, the fragrance, and the fingerprints of Jesus of Nazareth and his spirit, generally things get better. And I've been to countries where I can't see the fingerprints. I don't see the footprints. I can't smell the fragrance of Jesus. And you know what? I don't have to tell you. It gets pretty bad. It gets actually worse. And, And so you have a choice to make. You have a road to take. You have a life to choose. It's the spirit road. Take the spirit road when you come to the fork. Lean into Jesus, to his Holy Spirit, because your new life awaits you. Let's pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? We'll have a time of invitation to respond to the role of the Holy Spirit, the shotgun role, the navigator role in our lives. Lord, we thank you because you don't force yourself on us. We thank you that even though as imperfect human beings, even the best that we do on our best day is not enough to match and meet your expectations and your requirements because you're holy. As we sang this morning, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And yet you made a way for us to be like you and to follow you. It's, it's the road of the spirit. Most of us probably have chosen that road in this life We pray, Lord, that these words of the Apostle Paul and the emphasis of the Spirit is something that becomes a reality that we we, we do give you, Holy Spirit. We give you space and mind space and conversation. We get you into our words and we whisper to you. And even when we can't say the words, we know that you're interceding on our behalf, knowing that you're at work. You never sleep. You never slumber. You're always watching over us. Give us this confidence, Lord, as we have confidence in you and help us to daily be aware of your presence and to get more of who you are and to get into your word more and to follow and heed the whisper of the still small voice. And help us, Lord, for those who are on the carnal road to be patient, to extend uh, acts of kindness and love and engage people even when they're against you, Lord. We pray that you have mercy on them and that you give us the peace and the patience we need and to pray for them as well so that we can uh, see them come to be free and not captive anymore. Lord, however you want to work in our lives this morning, uh, whatever movements you make in our spirit, in our minds, in our hearts, we just invite you to do so now. Help us to be better moms and dads and children that honor and obey their parents, that, that know your word and do what's right. Uh, hear, hear our prayer, O Lord, and let us hear you as we sing and as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.